Well, good morning again. It's so good to see all of your smiling faces today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to um, Genesis chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 together. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series, In the Beginning, God. And as we've done since week 1, let's say together, Genesis 1-1, In the Beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This morning, we're going to kind of take a downward turn um, in our study. Um, This morning, we're going to begin looking at um, what is the beginning of the end of civilization. I wish I could tell you this morning that this morning's message is going to be one of those win one for the Gipper messages, one of those that's going to give you a warm fuzzy after we're done, but unfortunately, that is not the case. Um, When we walk through Scripture verse by verse, we look at the good, God in all of his goodness, and we look at man in all of his wretchedness. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Our message point this morning is this, sin and the rapid decline of humanity. Sin and the rapid decline of humanity. Let's read together in Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Then the Philem were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. When, their son, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then in verse 8 we read, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Have you ever gotten to the point in your life where you have just said, enough is enough? Maybe you um, came home after a hard day's work and you walk in the doors and all of a sudden, man, your kids were at each other, they were yelling at each other, and you put your foot down and you said, enough is enough. Maybe um, something happened at work and you um, were tired of how you were being treated and you said, enough is enough. And you walked out the door for the final time. Maybe you had a friend group that was influencing you in a negative way. And you got to the point that you realized that they were not leading you toward Christ, but they were leading you away from Christ. And you said, enough is enough. Maybe um, you got to the point where you were emotionally drained and you recognized that you needed help. And so you said, enough is enough. Now, I think we've all been there, right? We've all, at one point or another, have just gotten so frustrated that we just said, enough is enough. This morning, we're going to see the Lord do that very thing. Because of the wickedness of man, the Lord is going to say, enough is enough. Notice our first point this morning is this, the activity of man. Again, let's read in verses 1 and 2. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of man came, or the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any 
they chose. So man began to multiply on the face of the earth. We're about 1,650 years into creation at this point. We have no idea how many people were on the face of the earth at the time. People a lot smarter than me, like Ken Ham, who is the founder of Answers in Genesis, say that there could have been anywhere between about 750 million people up to a few billion people that could have lived on the face of the earth at the time of Noah. And Scripture tells us that men and women were coming together and doing what God commanded. They were marrying and multiplying. Nothing wrong with that, right? Isn't that exactly what the Lord told Adam and Eve to do in Genesis chapter 1? In Genesis 1.28, we read, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. That was God's ordained um, blessing that occurs within the family unit. And that's what we were seeing happening in those days. Notice the pre-flood world. The best way to describe the pre-flood world, it was godless and wicked. Humanity was living independent of God instead of being dependent upon him. Kind of sounds like the world that we live in today, doesn't it? Do you want to know how to know when Jesus Christ is going to return for his church? Scripture tells us that the world is going to look very much like it did during the days of Noah. Notice Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39. Jesus spoke these words. He said, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Think about the days that we are living in now. I cannot imagine the days of Noah being much worse than the days we are living in today. Lawlessness is all around us. Immorality is plaguing our homes, our schools, our businesses, our communities. We have legislatures. Man, they're voting to allow for the aborting of babies up until birth and even after the child is delivered. We have people who are testifying before Congress this week that biological males can get pregnant and have babies. A lady was asked by one representative, and I'm not even sure what the, 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 the purpose of this meeting was or when and where it was or anything like that. I just kind of saw a clip of it. But um, a lady was asked by this one representative, what do you say a woman is? And this lady answered, Everyone can identify for themselves. He asked his next question. Do you believe that men can become pregnant and have abortions? And without even a hesitation, she said, yes. Just like the days of Noah, today we are normalizing immorality and wickedness. Look with me again at verse 2. We read, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. 
and they took as their wives any they chose. Who are the sons of God? You know, there have been multiple views given over the century about this. Let's look at two of those together this morning. The first one is this. They were the sons of, of Seth, the descendants of Seth. In this view, the sons of God are the sons of Seth, and the daughters are, of men are the women from the line of Cain. This view believes that Seth's line was righteous, which means they followed after the heart of God, and Cain's line was wicked. The two groups intermarry and produce, as verse 4 tells us, um, the Nephilim. They basically create a superhuman species that would take over the world. Here's the problem with this view. There has never been an entirely righteous line of people, has there? Just because people called upon the name of the Lord in Genesis chapter 4, that doesn't mean that they're still calling upon the name of the Lord about 1,500 years later. We know they didn't because if they did, the floodwaters would have never come. Another view is that they were fallen angels. This, these were the angels who rebelled against God and were cast out of heaven with the devil. These fallen angels um, we refer to as demons. These demons inhabited human bodies. They married human women and had children with them. And I know this seems strange, but believe it or not, this is the most plausible answer to who the sons of God were. In the Old Testament, the sons of God always refer to fallen angels. We see this in Job 1 and Job 2 and Job 38. What Satan is trying to do as he is possessing human bodies is he is trying to pollute the genetic gene pool. He is trying to make the human race unfit for the coming of the Messiah. So he orders his demons to inhabit the men of earth, and when that occurred, the earth became more and more and more evil. And as a result of the evil that swept across the face of the earth, the Lord would say, enough is enough, and he would bring utter destruction upon humanity. And not only would man be punished for this, but the demons would also receive an extra dose of punishment beyond the punishment they received when they were banished out of heaven. In 2 Peter chapter 2, we read of their punishment. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. We also read in Jude chapter 6, our verse 6 is in 7, and the angel who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sex morality and pursued unnatural desires, 
serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. You know, Satan has been trying to pollute the world since the beginning of time, hasn't he? That is why you and I must always be aware of the devil and his scheme as well as the scheme of his minions. We need to always be prepared to combat the influence of the devil by putting on the full armor of God as we have been instructed to do in Scripture. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all, and having done all to stand firm. Even though the world may be evil, that does not mean you and I have to give in to that evil, right? We can shine bright in the midst of the darkness. We know that the only hope for the world is Jesus. And you and I possess the light of Christ in us. And we have been called to go into this dark world and to shine a light brightly. We see our next point is this, the Lord's punishment. In verse 3, we read, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. We know the world was corrupt. God was fed up with humanity. He was fed up with their rebellion, their sinfulness, their wickedness, their corruption, their evilness, their immorality. The world has never been as evil as it was during the days of Noah. But again, one more time, it will be as evil as that. And that will be at the time which Jesus Christ will return. The Lord says again in this verse, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. What does that mean? It means that God is going to give man a hundred and twenty years to repent of their sins and to get right with the Lord before the flood comes. 120 years is a long time, isn't it? It's going to be longer than most of us in this room live. But the Lord is going to demonstrate his graciousness for his creation by giving them 120 years to get right with him. I, I think that's a, a, a demonstration of God in all of his goodness, don't you? Every single person that was on the planet at that time would have had multiple opportunities to get right with God. We know they didn't. That's why the floodwaters came. Notice next, the children of man. In verse 4, we read, The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now the children born to the sons of God and the women of men are called the Nephilim. One writer shares um, the words Nephilim mean mighty and renowned and describe the highest-ranked people of the day, the most famous, reputable, 
powerful fallen men who were on the face of the earth. These godless, satanic people were the military leaders, the powerful and wealthy people who were controlling the world. But in 120 years, they would all be completely destroyed. Don't be surprised to discover that those who are not right with God become giants in this world. Think about world leaders in history's past as well as in present day. How many times have we witnessed godless men and women rise to lead in destructive ways? People like Hitler or Stalin, Mary I, also known as Bloody Mary, Saddam Hussein, Vladimir Putin, the Kim Jungs of the North Korean, the first century emperor Nero, godless people who rose to the top only to bring about destruction. There is coming a day in the future when the world's worst dictator will rise and bring destruction. He will come as a charmer at first, but will quickly oppose Christ and his church. He will attempt to destroy all Christians, all Jews, and the nation of Israel. This person we refer to as the Antichrist. In Revelation 19, we read of the Antichrist punishment. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in, the, in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. There is much wickedness in the world today, but there is coming a day again when it will get worse than it is now. Heartbreaking, I know, but that is the reality that comes with sin. Notice next the Lord's warning. Okay, I, I, man, I'm looking out here and, and I'm seeing a lot of gloomy faces. I apologize for this message in a way. You know, it's what God's Word says. We need to cover it and we need to talk about it. It'll get better, I promise. Okay? In verse 5, not in verse 4. In verse 4, our, our point number 4, we read the Lord's warning. In verses 5 through 7, we read... Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So we just read of God's assessment of man. God looked down upon his creation and he saw the wickedness of man. He saw the heart of man to be only evil. And man, in this um, reference, is both man and woman. It's humanity. Um, He looks down and he sees man in all of its wickedness. And we see here, because of this, the Lord's heart was grieved. 
and he regretted that he made man. That right there should break every single one of our hearts in this room. We see the brokenness of God on full display because of the sinfulness of man. God created something good, didn't he? In fact, following the creation of man and woman, we read in Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Humanity was not just referred to as being good here, but God said of his creation of man and woman, very good. Now fast forward to chapter 6, and we find God broken because of man's rebellion. And as a result of man's sin, he makes the decision to blot out man. Notice our second sub-point here is God's judgment against man. In verse 7 again we read, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. This word blot out means to lay something to total waste, to utterly destroy. There was no hope for humanity. The evilness of man was so great that they chose to follow after the prince of darkness instead of the Lord. Understand, sin brings judgment. Those that lived in the days of Noah were given a chance to repent, but they chose not to. And as a result, their punishment would be death, both a physical death and a spiritual death. Sometimes our sinfulness brings about physical death, right? Also, some, what we do know is that everyone will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And for the unbeliever, they're going to experience spiritual death, not only physical death, but for the believer, we know that our reward is heaven. Hebrews 9.27, we read, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Every single one of our days are numbered, aren't they? In this room, man, there may be some of us that live for another 50 years. Eli, back in the back, man, Eli may make it another 90 or 100 years. Who knows? Some of us in this room may not have quite that many years before us. What we know is that all of us, unless Jesus Christ returns, will experience physical death. But there is coming a day when we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and as believers, our reward is going to be heaven for the unbeliever their punishment will be eternal separation from God in a real place called hell. On this, in this message this morning, what every single person in the pre-flood world was in danger of was not only physical death, but eternal death as well, if they did not repent of their sins and turn to God. And what we know, unfortunately, that there were millions of people maybe even billions of people on the earth at the time. And none of them were found righteous with the exception of one man, Noah. 
That leads us to our final point this morning, the Lord's grace. We read in verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor. I love that. With God, there is always hope. There is always grace. There is always a way out. Our God is not a hater, as so many people like to say. He is a loving God who so wants his creation to know him and love him and serve him and to make him known amongst the nation. At the moment of your salvation and my salvation, we became a but, didn't we? But Chad found favor in the eyes of God. But Peggy found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Just put your name right there. But put your name and finish that verse right there. Why did Noah find favor in the eyes of the Lord? Because Noah was a righteous man who believed in God. And as a result of that, he is going to represent God's grace and mercy that's going to be found within that boat that he is going to build called the ark. You know, last Saturday I had the opportunity with Danny to take um, the church's snow cone machine out to a fellowship that um, Caitlin's school was, was, was having. And um, once a month they, they did these um, fellowships called Friday Night Live, which was crazy. They always did them on Saturday, so I don't know why they didn't just call it Saturday Night Live, but they didn't. Um, and with these fellowships, they would always do a night of worship and Bible study. And so after... Um, we, we ate pizza together, and they had some snow cones. They gathered together, and it's a 100% student-led time of worship and Bible study. And Caitlin um, was one of the school chaplains this year, as well as another young man in our church by the name of, of, of Matthew Vorderberg, and he was one of the seniors that, that, that graduated yesterday, and we um, um, showcased him last week as well. And um, Caitlin did her Bible study last Saturday, and after she was done, uh, Matthew stood up. And, and Matthew began to talk about his time at LCA, began to talk about um, God and all of his goodness. And he made reference to, um, to, to something that he um, had heard growing up. And this is something that all of us are familiar with, but he led these students to say this, God is good all the time. God is good. Y'all have all said that before. I know growing up at, at, at um, my last church, um, the former pastor would say that um, quite frequently. And it would a lot of times be how we ended a, a service together. So I want to, us together to say that this morning. I'm going to say God is good. You say all the time, God is good. You ready? God is good. God is good. Let's say again. God is good. All the time, God is good. One more time. God is good. All the time, God is good. He will always give individuals an opportunity to repent of their sins and turn to him. You may say this morning, my life resembles the days of Noah. I'm an unbeliever, and if I were to die today, I don't know where I would spend eternity. I want you to know this morning you can know. This morning you can come to experience 
Christ in all of his fullness and all of his goodness, and you can experience his grace and his mercy. You do this by repenting of your sins and confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the Bible says if you do that, you will be saved. In fact, we read in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to come and to surrender your life to Jesus and to enter into an eternal relationship with him. I want us to close by just being reminded of this. God always gives opportunities for every individual to repent, doesn't he? He always does. And this is your opportunity this morning, if you are not a believer in Jesus, to repent of your sins and to come to Jesus. Let's stand together. Um, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you this morning to come. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, I know that this is one of those messages, Lord, that, that is um, hard to stomach. Father, when we look at man in all of his wretchedness and humanity um, in all of its evilness, and when we think about the pre-flood world and the destruction that came because of their sin, Lord, it, we know it broke your heart because we just read in Scripture that you were broken. And Father, it should break our hearts when we look outside the doors of this church and see man in all of its evilness, knowing that there is going to come a day when the world that we live in now will resemble the days of Noah, and it will be at that time that you are going to return for your church. Father, there is much, much good that is in this world because your church is in this world. And Father, we just pray that as your church, we will be committed to the Great Commission. We will hit the streets and we will share the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with. May it be our, our, our passion and our heart's desire to see as many people come to faith in Jesus Christ as possible before that day of your return. Lord, if there's someone in this room that is yet to enter into an eternal relationship with you, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. Father, move now. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.